Welcome to the Indie Matters podcast, where we talk about the issues that matter most to Nevada. I'm Elizabeth Thompson, the managing editor of the Nevada Independent, filling in for editor John Ralston this week. Each week here on Indie Matters, we discuss matters of importance that we covered and try to look ahead to what's coming up in the Nevada Independent. We're a nonprofit news site that can be found at thenevadaindependent.com. I'm joined today by reporters Riley Snyder and Megan Mesherly, so let's get right to it. Uh, We're not going to do this in chronological order uh, today uh, because President Trump was in Reno for the first time since the election this Wednesday. Both of you went up to cover the event. Uh, He spoke to the annual American Legion Conference. Uh, Megan, give us a rundown on what happened. Yeah, so the event was on Wednesday, and I think going into it, we sort of, we weren't sure what to expect given that, you know, when Riley and I were flying up on Tuesday night, President Trump was hosting a rally in Phoenix. You know, we got off the plane and I was reading all these tweets about, you know, tear gas and protests in the streets and sort of reading all the the quotes and reaction to the speech. And so, you know, I think we weren't sure, you know, which President Trump would show up to the event on Wednesday. Um, But when we we got there, um, it actually was a very, he stopped to the topic. You know, he was speaking to the American Legion, a veterans group, and he talked about veterans pretty much the entire time, uh, focused on several different veterans-related legislation that he signed, um, including a bill that gave extra money to this Veterans Choice Program, which basically allows veterans to go see um, private doctors if they're not able to access sort of the, the traditional VA system. Um, so he, he talked a lot about sort of what, what he had done and what Congress had done to help veterans, which was sort of a, a you know very different from what we saw in Phoenix. He's sort of rambling all over the place and sort of more one of his uh, traditional campaign rallies. Um, so it's interesting to see the sort of dichotomy between the two. And okay. we should note that the appearance in Reno was not a campaign rally. It was an it American was Legion convention speech. So, yeah. it, you know, it was close to the public. Exactly. It was, uh, you know, veterans of American Legion members. So it was a little different atmosphere. Exactly. Absolutely. Riley, you spoke to some of the protesters, I believe, uh, that were gathered in, in Reno. Uh, what What was the gist if there was one or what what was everyone griping about? Yeah, I dived into the battle for the ideological soul of America, as the Review Journal put it. Um, there There's about a thousand protesters who showed up throughout the entire event. Um, they were mostly anti-Trump. There were a few pro-Trump people. You know, I've covered Reno. I've lived in northern Nevada and I guess Nevada for the last seven years. It's usually a more relaxed, calm atmosphere. So you had some like yelling and shouting between people. But for the most part, it was just the normal chanting, protest signs. I saw a lot of people with sheet cake after Tina Fey's SNL skit from the other week. So that was a new one. But it was pretty typical. I mean, I tried to talk to them about specific issues they might have with the president in terms of uh, veterans issues. And a lot of the people, whether they were veterans themselves or just anti-Trump people, really didn't have a lot of, I guess, nuance or issues there. It was just sort of an anti-Trump general we're opposed to all your different policies. There are things there that some people brought up, like the transgender band. You know, they uh, there was one person who was a, a Marine Corps vet who um, said, you know, all, all politicians try and wrap themselves in the flag, and you know, we want to give them a chance. But you know, I think he said the proof of the pudding is in the eating, and so you know, he was trying to give them some time and being generally kind of open-minded. So it's interesting to get there and, and listen to these people. Obviously, they don't speak for. The majority of Americans, uh, President Trump lost Washoe County in the 2016 election by about 2,000 votes. So, right. you know, I don't think that that protest really speaks for how Reno and, and Washoe County is, but it was uh, definitely interesting. He's a polarizing president, no doubt. Uh, Megan, on the topic of protests against the Trump administration and those who are uh, falling in line with him right now on health care reform, uh, we had a report this week from a left-leaning group, uh, but nonetheless on the Graham-Cassidy-Heller proposal to replace, uh, repeal and replace the Affordable Care Act. What, 
go over for the listeners what this amendment does or what this bill does, basically, uh, and then what this report says about it. Right. So uh, there was this, if, if people were watching sort of the, the healthcare debate um, when it was happening this summer, there, I mean, there were so many different proposals flying back and forth, but sort of one that um, I guess flew a little bit below the radar, but, um, you know, sort of came up in, in, the, in the course of discussions was this amendment put forward by Senators Graham and Cassidy and they had proposed it a, a while back, but how it sort of came to our attention is that um, our Senator Dean Heller signed on to it. Um, and so this proposal, what it essentially does is it, it does two main things. So one, it takes the federal funding right now that is allocated through the Affordable Care Act. So the money that goes toward Medicaid expansion and the money that goes toward marketplace subsidies, it takes that sort of pot of money and turns it into a block grant. And states, there's sort of these varying criteria, but states would get a portion of that pot of money um, based on how they qualify. And there's certain things like if you're a low density state or if you have a lower per capita income, you, you can get more of those funds. And so you go through all these criteria and each state sort of gets its own pot, grows sort of slowly over time. Um, so that's one of the things it does. And the other main thing it does is it makes a major change to the federal Medicaid program, um, which provides a assistance to low-income, pregnant, disabled individuals, gives them health care. Um, and what it would do, the amendment, um, is that it would change that into a, the, a per capita cap. So it, it basically changes the way that it's allocated. So it would be given to states per person. So the sort of benefit of that is that, you know, if you population growth, you know, you do get extra dollars per person, but it's still a fixed amount that grows. Um, it starts off at growing with growing at medical inflation, and then it grows at sort of the regular inflation over time, which is a lot of complicated stuff. But all that to say, there was this report that came out yesterday from the Center on Budget and Policy Priorities. Um, and what that report said was that uh, it did its analysis of this amendment and saw how it would impact all 50 states. And generally, their conclusion was that it would end up hurting all states, uh, you know, over time. Um, some states might do okay in the short run, but long term, all states would suffer. And, and the numbers that they ran, they found that uh, Nevada would end up losing $257 million um, in 2026 compared to what it re would receive in 2026 under the Affordable Care Act. So comparing sort of that 10 year out projection to what it could be under the amendment, um, which was interesting because Senator Heller has been home for the August recess talking about this amendment and how good it would be for Nevada. And his office is very different numbers, more in the ballpark of the state would benefit by 600 some million dollars. And so sort of very different numbers there between the two. Yeah, that's a wide uh, disparity. I thought it was notable this week when Heller spoke to Hispanics in politics. That's an activist group here uh, in southern Nevada, um, that he sounded like he had some new talking points. Um, to this point, uh, for the past couple months, he's really been in line with Governor Sandoval, just repeatedly saying um, that no plan that cut off Medicaid funding um, or that substantially reduced Medicaid funding for Nevadans was going to be acceptable to either Heller uh, or Sandoval. Now he's sort of pivoted a little bit and he's still holding himself up as a champion of uh, Medicaid, but he's also now uh, saying things like where he thinks this block grant to the states is a better way to go. Let the states deal with it. Let the states decide how they're uh, going to use the money, right? Am I right. characterizing that correct? Yep, yep, that's correct. I, I think I think you're right in, in saying that, you know, he, since coming back from Washington, he's been 
and saying, you know, I'm a I'm a champion of Medicaid. It was it was only because of me that you know I, I was able to keep Medicaid from being touched in those in those proposals and not moving forward. And he kept Medicaid out of skinny repeal, which he ended up voting for. So he's talked a lot about that, and then he's talked a lot about this proposal and how it would be helpful. And he's using this six hundred million dollar figure, saying that you know it increased funding for Nevada by forty nine percent. But the one thing to note is that the way that he's sort of getting to those figures is by comparing it to what Nevada is currently receiving. So in 2016 dollars, and as everyone knows, you know, amounts increase over time, there's inflation, there's growth. And so comparing it to now might not be the the best, you know, it's sort of apples and oranges instead of apples to apples. Riley, you were able to catch up with the governor this morning and talk to him. uh, And you asked him about this Graham Cassidy Heller proposal. Did you not? What What did he have to say? Yeah. So Megan and I have been bugging the governor's office basically, I don't know about every day, but probably every other day about Graham Cassidy Heller. Last week, Senator Heller went on a conservative talk radio and said the governor's on board with Graham Cassidy Heller, this whole concept that Megan just explained in great detail. So caught up with him today. Um, and in between teenagers trying to take selfies with him at Silverado High School, he said that he doesn't really want to comment on the bill. He, um, you know, it's not really out of character for Sandoval to kind of keep his cards close to the chest. And he said it'd be premature to comment without seeing the bill language itself. He did mention Megan's story on the NevadaIndependent.com. Um, nice. Nice plug. <laughs> Got to get the plug in. Uh, he mentioned Megan's story and said that would be a problem if that is true. He said there's about six different options. He's heard from Heller's people. They're continuing to work closely together with Senator Heller's office. But I thought that was interesting because Heller had said the governor was on board and the governor is saying, you know, well, you know, let's see what the bill says before I, I weigh in. Yeah. And didn't he, didn't the governor today, which I thought was so interesting, he used the phrase litmus test. And what did he underline was his litmus test on this whole topic? Yeah. So the governor said multiple times he wants to make sure Nevada is held harmless, that this expanded Medicaid population is not affected. The people who got insurance under the expansion of the ACA continue to have that insurance. So th- those were the, the two phrases that I came away with you know, that were kind of bolded for me were litmus test and hold harmless. I think those are the two things that are going to be the biggest for him going forward. Yeah, me too. And to me, hold harmless means that there's zero loss of dollars to Nevada for Medicaid, right? And that's right. Uh, Heller doesn't seem to be anywhere uh, near that according to uh, one report, but according to his own numbers, he's saying that he wants to bring even more uh, money to Nevada. So the devil's in the details here on, on the numbers. And of course, there's always speculation with uh, health care. It's impossible to nail down the numbers exactly. Even the Congressional Budget Office, which uh, is nonpartisan and usually fairly accurate accurate when it dices up a bill and figures out how it's going to look. They got pretty close on the Affordable Care Act when we first rolled it out years ago, but even they missed uh, the mark because with so many moving pieces, so many millions of people, so many different ways that the money plays uh, on the topic in people's health care, it's just impossible, right, Megan, to predict accurately? It is, yeah. I mean, if if you went there and you looked at different groups, you know, analyses of the various, you know, Senate health care proposals as they were coming out, you know, there was a a pretty wide, you know, array and sort of, you know, what – especially Democrats were saying as well, you know, all the numbers are saying that millions of people lose health care. So that's sort of the the big picture. But, you know, again, with Graham Cassidy Heller, we're going to have to see, you know, what happens with it. You know, it's also possible that um, states have a lot of discretion under Graham Cassidy Heller with how they use the funds. So the question, too, is, you know, maybe Nevada's really pro-Medicaid and is able to be really strategic with their dollars and, and invest that money into the program. But that could change governor to governor, legislature to legislature, and then across all the states. Yeah, Riley, I wanted to ask you uh, real quick, too. I I know you asked the governor about this topic of sanctuary cities, the possibility that we may see a ballot initiative on sanctuary cities. And uh, as I think has been discussed here on the podcast and Megan, 
Megan's written about this for the Nevada Independent. Uh, Sanctuary Cities is going to be an issue in the campaign season here in Nevada. Uh, We do have Republican lawmakers, including Attorney General Adam Laxalt and Senate uh, Minority Leaders Michael Roberson, who have repeatedly used this phrase, Sanctuary City. They're against it. They're even going after one uh, lawmaker in a recall effort that's uh, supposedly based on her position on Sanctuary Cities. What did the governor say today on that issue? Yeah, so I asked the governor and he was pretty blunt about his uh, thoughts. He said he spoke with Jeff Sessions, the the national attorney general, and back in April, and he explained what Las Vegas was doing, and he doesn't really think that there's an issue with sanctuary cities in Nevada. And so he was very cautious about how he phrased it. I don't think he dismissed it fully outright, but he said, I don't know if there's a need to have a ballot question on this. This is a ballot question that was introduced a couple months ago. It's a constitutional amendment, so it would have to pass again on the ballot. Um, but yeah, it's Similar, you you mentioned the recalls, and I thought it was interesting that Sandoval, in that case, um, sort of distanced himself from these recall efforts. And again, for those who don't listen to this every week, we've tried to reach out to the people running these recalls, and none of them will return any of our phone calls or emails or attempts to communicate and why they're trying to recall these three state senators. But like there, Sandoval said, you know, I, I really don't have anything to do with it, or I don't really don't think it's necessary. Yeah. Okay. Great. What else? Anything else uh, the governor had to say that was uh, of interest? Did you think he uh, declined to say his thoughts on Mayweather versus uh, Conor McGregor, <laughs> which was another dodge from the governor? <laughs> another disappointment. Is he a boxing fan? I don't know. Is I he? Don't, I don't know. Uh, he he's a fan of Nevada, and this fight will be good for Nevada. <laughs> is how I think. He good, Riley. It. Well done. <laughs> Um, okay, uh, I guess let's pivot for a minute to politics, and then maybe we'll circle back around to policy, um, because I think you also asked the governor today uh, if he was uh, issuing any endorsements for any recently announced candidates. Specifically, I'm referring to Senator Michael Roberson, who announced uh, that he would be running for lieutenant governor on Monday. What did Sandoval say about that? So the governor uh, did not have any endorsements for me um, today, but he did say that Senator Roberson was, you know, just a, he called him a warrior for the commerce tax in 2015, which I'm sure Senator Roberson is not too excited for in his upcoming <laughs> possible primary. Um, he said he's been a great leader. He has a lot of respect for him, but he hasn't been asked about any endorsements. And that was also true for Congressional District 3, where there's a lot of different Republicans who are running in that race. State Senator Scott Hammond is one who would seem like a natural Sandoval endorsement. And he said, you know, no one's reached out to me and asked me to endorse them yet. But Roberson especially is interesting because of that sanctuary city whole issue we were talking about earlier. He's the chairman of a pact to get that on the ballot. And, you know, there's interesting lines of connection and disconnection between those two. Yeah, I think so, too. And on the governor calling him the a champion for uh, business taxes, I think Ro- Roberson might be calling the governor and saying, stop helping. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that'll be uh, that'll be an interesting race for sure. All right. So back to policy a little bit. Um, I want to give the listeners an update. We have been following for some time this Department of the Interior review of national monuments across the country. This is something the Trump administration made a policy pretty much as they, he came into the White House and was getting settled. There's a, there was an update, and you wrote a story this week, Riley. What what happened? Are we losing our national monuments here in Nevada? Yes, they're all gone. No more monuments <laughs> for anyone. Oh. Um, <laughs> Megan can jump in on this, too, if, yeah. if she wants to. But um, this has basically been a process that was really started by an executive order back in April, I believe, by President Trump to review 27 national monuments that have been established since 1997. There's been a lot of complaints from people in the rurals and the business community that uh, presidents have used the Antiquities Act, this 1906 law that Teddy Roosevelt kind of, you know, pushed through Congress to sort of, you know, overuse their authority and declare areas national monuments where they maybe shouldn't be national monuments. So the Department of the Interior Secretary, Ryan Zinke, has been on this listening tour. He came to Nevada last month and was out in Bunkerville, and our colleague Jackie Valley had the the special privilege of getting to go out and make that, that very long drive. 
And so on Thursday, he was due to deliver this report to the president on which monument should be changed, if any of them should be removed. All he said was that he's not going to recommend the elimination of any of the monuments, but there's a handful where he might make um, potential changes. And so that's an open question because Nevada has two recently created national monuments, Gold Butte and Basin and Range. They're both in very rural areas. They cover several hundred thousand acres. And there was a lot of controversy because they sort of came in um, under the radar. And there wasn't, at least if you hear, you know, the people in the, the locals in the rural say it, there wasn't a lot of outreach to them. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I thought was really interesting, so like Riley mentioned, we didn't get to see the actual, you know, draft report that was sent to the president. They only released this report summary. And one of the things that was really interesting to me is there were, you know, thousands and thousands of comments submitted, maybe even millions. I can't remember what the exact number was, but, you know, all these comments and the report noted that they were overwhelmingly in favor of, you know, keeping the monuments intact. But one of the things that the report noted, and it sort of seemed to me a little sort of dismissive of the comments, was that um, a lot of these were organized by national groups and that there were national campaigns. And, you know, we saw it during, obviously, there's so many groups in Nevada here who are involved and, you know, national groups as well that were engaged in these, you know, campaigns trying to get people to to write and say that they oppose this. Um, And I mean, you you can't say just because a group is going around and encouraging people to voice their opinions, that means you should dismiss, you know, their yeah. opinions. Does and that mean they're all they're brainwashed? Saying. Right, exactly. <laughs> so, um, but it was interesting that they pointed that out. And then, you know, obviously there weren't as many negative comments, but like Riley mentioned, you know, they were talking about people who want to preserve, um, you know, like hunting and recreational vehicles and, and those uses of the land. But one of the things too that it mentioned, and I know some um, environmental people are also worried about this, is it mentioned, you know, preserving uses for timber and and mining. And that's sort of where, you know, a lot of the concern is, you know, there's, there's not as much concern about, you know, using the land for recreation, but if it becomes used for industry. What about using it as a roadway to get to Yucca Mountain? Wasn't that a concern? Yeah. So with Basin and Range National Monument, um, one of the proposed rail routes to Yucca Mountain would have run through, I think it's 300 miles of Basin and Range. And so effectively creating that national monument just seals off that route. And And there is another rail route and there are other options, but that was sort of, you know, one proposed route and it, it definitely sealed off that option. So it'll be interesting to see if there are changes made, you know, does it suddenly make that a possibility, particularly with the administration's, um, you know, renewed interest in restarting uh, licensing activities. There. Yeah. I don't want to give away your story completely for tomorrow, but in the way of a tease for our listeners who do listen to the podcast this evening, and we're uh, recording here on Friday, uh, something happened this week regarding Yucca Mountain. Tell, tell us briefly uh, about it, and then the readers can check out the rest of it in the morning. Yeah. So earlier this month, um, and my three colleagues actually wrote about this. I can't remember what I was doing at the time. But um, basically, there there was um, an announcement from the Nuclear Regulatory Commission saying they were looking, they were going to start these information gathering activities related to Yucca Mountain. And it's sort of one narrow specific thing. It's related to this licensing support network, this database of documents, getting that figured out, you know, what needs to be done with it? Do we need a new database? How is the existing database being maintained? Um, all those sorts of questions. Um, and so they had sort of announced this. And the state uh, today actually sent a letter saying, this is what we think. We have some concerns about this. You know, we have concerns that you want to have a virtual meeting and we want this to be an in-person meeting and we have concerns about the way that you notified people about this. And sort of, so it's sort of yet another iteration in, you know, Nevada trying to stall or delay or ultimately kill, you know, efforts to, to restart licensing activities there. Okay, so we'll look forward to reading more about that, and you'll be um, following this, uh, I guess, as long as the Trump administration decides to keep uh, pushing Yucca forward. We'll we'll see how that goes. On the topic of energy, um, Riley, you reported this week that Nevada Energy 
declared a solar net metering proposal dead on arrival. Uh, can you sum that up for us? What, what was that all about? Yeah, so this is, again, the part of the podcast where I drone on about energy for five minutes. So <laughs> skip ahead if you don't care. Let's make it four minutes. Okay, three minutes it is. Um, so uh, recap, during the 2017 session, the legislature and the governor signed this bill with the intent purpose of restoring Nevada's rooftop solar industry back in. This is uh, accomplished by kind of reinstituting this program called net metering, where if you have a rooftop solar panel on your house, you get reimbursed for the extra energy you create that you're not using and you sell back to the utility. Um, there's a whole long history. I've talked about it way too many times, so I'm not going to get into it. But it was a very contentious thing, and this bill got passed. The governor went to a Tesla warehouse. Everyone was happy. Everyone was clapping. You know, things were looking well. Um, about two weeks ago, uh, NV Energy, which is charged with sort of drafting you know, the actual implementation of this bill, put forward this 345-page application to the PUC, which is the state's regulatory body for utilities, electric utilities, uh, basically totally changing the rate structure for everyone's electric bills, not just people with rooftop solar panels on their roof. So it would have raised the basic service charge for everyone. It would have reduced the volumetric charge, um, which is sort of dependent on how much electricity you use. It was very controversial. There were a lot of angry rooftop solar people. I thought there would be a lot of protesters, but there weren't um, at this series of hearings. Um, and so on Monday and throughout Tuesday and Wednesday was a series of uh, three days of hearings to sort of dig in to this application and for the PUC to make its final recommendation. And on Monday, NV Energy basically said, you know, this isn't going anywhere. The PUC chairman uh, said, you know, we're not going to do this. We're not going to have this big of an effect on rates in this sort of case because under the law that was passed in the 2017 session, they have to get all of this done basically by September 1st. And they, get, they run into a bunch of legal issues if they don't do that. So they said it was a way to sort of um, do a, a workaround of how rates are created. Generally, they're, they're done in these like general rate cases, which take three years to do. And there's a lot more hearings and input that goes into them. Um, ultimately, that got dropped. And you know the PUC and all these other players have a, a very short clock to get this figured out. So we'll definitely be following that. Yeah, it's about we're down to the final week, isn't the September 1st is next Friday? Am it's coming I up, yeah. wrong about that? Okay, so uh, we'll look forward to an update on that um, next week. Uh, Riley, you got a hold of a story this week that I thought was pretty stunning and fascinating. Clark County received a rather large bill from the Department of Justice. Uh, $75 million are, is owed. What, what's that all about? Yeah, so uh, the DOJ sent a letter to their friends at Clark County and said that they owe $75 million in unpaid rent over the Bally High Golf Course. Um, I'm going to try and get all the details right. It's been a long week, and I'm a little sleepy. So, Billy Walters, if you're listening, please don't sue me if I get any of this wrong. Um, <laughs> Clark County has a land use agreement with the federal government for the Bally High site. Billy Walters, who's this really prominent Las Vegas gambler that a lot of people in town know, um, sort of entered into agreement with the county and the airport to build a golf course there in 2000. Uh, he's operated the golf course ever since. It's never been very profitable. Uh, there's been a couple different changes in terms of what that land is going to be used for. It was brought up potentially for use as a Raiders stadium. It might come up again as a parking lot for the Raiders stadium. But nothing's really happened with it, and the county's never collected rent because it's never officially turned a profit. And the federal government is saying, you know, we're owed $75 million on rent in this. The county's saying, you know, we strongly disagree with that, and we'll be willing to talk with the DOJ. And they gave him a September 1st deadline um, to comply with it. We're still trying to reach out to, to Billy Walters himself and see what, what impact he has. My colleague Jackie Valley talked to uh, Steve Sisolak, the chairman of the county commission, and said it was more of an issue between the county and the federal government. And there's a lot of moving parts. It's very complicated land use stuff. But 
you know, we'll see what, what the county does and, you know, if they have to end up paying at least some portion of this $75 million bill. Even though they haven't collected much, if it's not a profitable endeavor, they're in the, they're in the red over some period of time. Is that, what, is that what I'm understanding you to say? Yeah. So it gets into this whole thing and basically the entire county commission and because of term limits, none of them were there in 2000 when this deal got approved. Um, the way it's set up is that they can declare a lot of things as losses. Um, and their rent is based on like a, a collection of the profit revenue as opposed to just like a flat rent amount. And, you know, Walters, for however, uh, whatever reason, has been able to, uh, you know, he's never declared a, a profit on that. So there's hence been no rent and no money the county's gotten. Sounds like there may be another story waiting there to be told. We'll see if we have time to dig into that. Um, I, I wasn't sure we'd have time, but I think we do. So, Megan, I'm going to pivot back to uh, health care as a topic uh, and ask you about a story that you filed on Monday uh, about doctor shortages and a plan uh, to try to fix that. what Tell us what was going on. Right, yeah. So there's this bill that's essentially been introduced during every congressional session since at least 2007. Um, and what it would do is it would add extra residency slots. Um, it would add 15,000 total over the course of five years, so 3,000 a year. Um, and this is a bill that uh, Democratic Congressman Ruben Keewen, Democratic Congresswoman uh, Jackie Rosen have signed on to. And that, that's why we wrote about it on Monday. They have this uh, press conference to talk about the bill and talk about the doctor shortage in Nevada. But um, Republican Congressman Mark Amaday is actually also a co-sponsor on the bill. And uh, Republican Senator Dean Heller is uh, actually one of the sponsors on the, the same version of the bill in the Senate. Um, so there's there's bipartisan support from our congressional delegation. Um, and why this matters to Nevada is that we, we have a severe physician shortage here, you know, within particular specialties, but also just overall, um, you know, we're, we are always at the bottom of, you know, if you rank all the states with best and worst healthcare, we're all we're always at the bottom. We're somewhere, you know, 49, 50, 48, hovering around there. And a lot of that is just um, access to care issues. You know, people have to wait months to get in to see even a primary care provider and you know, three to six months to see a specialist. And it's just because there aren't enough doctors here. And, you know, this is a problem. This is a longstanding problem. Everyone sort of acknowledges that it's something that needs to be dealt with. Um, and, and one of the things to help that has been the opening of UNLV's medical school. Um, they just accepted their first class, who just started classes this summer. Um, so that's now in full swing. But the problem is that, you know, once kids graduate medical school, they go on to complete a residency. And studies show that, you know, students who go on to uh, complete a residency in one particular place tend to stay in that place after they complete their residency. And so, you know, the big problem in Nevada is, okay, we have more medical students here. Maybe these are Nevada kids, you know, but if we don't have enough residency lots here in Nevada. They're going to go take a residency in Virginia or New York or Massachusetts, um, and we're going to lose them, and they're not going to come back to Nevada. And so that's one of the, the big goals behind this bill is to get more residency spots in Nevada so that we can train doctors here, we can you know have them complete their residencies here, and then have them stay here and sort of help that overall physician shortage. How many do you know? How many slots do we have right now? I don't know how many we have right now, but they just have added some new ones. So there, there are slowly, they are growing slowly over time. Um, I know one of the one of the hospitals in town just added a bunch. I want to say it's a like a family program or pediatric program. Um, they just added a number of residency slots. So they, they are growing. It's not like we've just had this stagnant number. Um, but, you know, obviously the, the more the better. There's a consensus, though, that there's still a shortage yes. of those slots. Yeah. Uh, okay. Let's um, pivot just finally here. This is still coming up, so it's not really news from this week. But preparations are underway for Adam Laxalt's 
uh, third annual Basque Fry up in northern uh, Nevada. He's our attorney uh, general, a Republican. Uh, we're waiting to see if he will announce as uh, we expect him to do at some point that he's going to be running uh, for governor. He's given every signal possible that that's the case without actually uh, saying so uh, out loud. Uh, Megan, what's a Basque fry and what are Basques? Yeah. Um, so if you want to read more about that, you can also check out the Nevada Independence website because I will have a story about that um, tomorrow on Saturday. But um, a Basque fry, well, it's something that actually uh, Attorney General Adam Laxalt's grandfather, Paul Laxalt, used to do. He had these dinners um, in, in Washington, D.C. and in Nevada. Um, but the Basque fry gets its name from a lamb fry, which is essentially a sliced uh, fried uh, lamb testicle. And so that is where the event gets its name from. Megan, congrats uh, <laughs> on being the first person to say testicle on the Thank Any Matters you. podcast. Big, uh, big yes, milestone it's an for honor. us. Um, yeah, and so that, that's why, that's what it was called. Uh, that's what Paul Laxalt called the event, and that's what Adam Laxalt calls his event, too. What else is on the menu? Uh, they're supposed to have um, chorizo and lamb stew, some other cuts of, of the lamb parts. Yeah, know. and for those who don't know, the, the Basque culture, uh, I believe, uh, is rooted in the Pyrenees area mm-hmm, uh, of right. Europe, the, between France uh, and Spain. Uh, yeah. They were kind of geographically seg- separated um, from those around them, so they really mm-hmm. developed their own culture. It's based on shepherding. They had sheep, mm-hmm. that you know, thus the the commitment to the, the, the lamb and the sausage making. But there's a big Basque community in northern uh, Nevada. There's a number of fantastic Basque uh, restaurants. If you've never been to the one in Winnemucca, it's outstanding. I had that uh, pleasure a couple of years ago when I was driving um, through the world. So the Basque Fry uh, was supposed to headline Vice President uh, Mike Pence and Senator uh, Cruz was supposed to be there as well, but they got called off, right? Yep. And that's because of the, as everyone, you know, I've, I'm sure you've seen it on, on Twitter or been watching the news, but the hurricane, you know, bearing down right now on uh, Texas, you know, it's it's a category three as of right now. And so, um, you know, the vice president said, I need to I need to stay in Washington, D.C. with the president. I need to monitor the situation and be available to respond. So he, you know, said he couldn't take the trip out here. And um, say, same with, uh, you know, Senator Cruz, who's obviously, you know, from Texas and watching that closely. So the Basque Fry will go on just with fewer uh, headliners. Uh, and we hope, uh, listeners, that you'll be checking the website throughout the weekend. We'll have updates um, from that event as long as uh, as well as any other breaking uh, news. That's all the time we have for this edition of the Indie Matters podcast. Uh, please do check that website, thenevadaindependent.com, frequently for our reports. Um, that update on Yucca Mountain that we mentioned. Uh, on Sunday, we've got a five-year anniversary of the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, otherwise known as DACA. We've got a big story on that. I recommend that you uh, check that out. And don't forget to check our opinion page every Sunday with our three great columnists. As always, we want to know what you think, so please email us at ideas at thenvindy.com. Also, please do rate us on iTunes and subscribe. You can find us also on Google Play. I'd like to thank our wonderful hosts here at KUNV 91.5 FM on the campus of UNLV. And as always, many thanks to Joey Lovato, our talented producer, who makes us all sound podcast smooth. I'm Elizabeth Thompson. I was joined today by Riley Snyder and Megan Masterly. Thanks for listening to Indie Matters. We will not be talking to you next week because going into the Labor Day weekend, uh, we've decided to be dark on Friday. So we will catch you on the following Friday, September 8th for Indie Matters podcast. Thanks for listening. Have a great and safe holiday.
from a lamb fry, which is essentially a sliced uh, fried uh, lamb testicle.